0: Welcome to Red Couch Max. I am Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 1-0 win over West Bromwich Albion, Bruno's 56th minute penalty, the difference in this match. Carl, finally, United have their first home league win of the season.
1: Hey yeah, Vivek, yeah lots lots to talk about in today's episode, glad to get the monkey off the back so to speak with our, our home form and get that win at the uh, fourth time of asking I think. On <laughs> uh, Looking at it from a, from the positive side, it's great to be able to grind out that 1-0 victory. Sometimes we've had trouble doing that, especially with the holes in the back. Uh, so good to see that happening. But on the uh, not-so-positive side, this is a struggling West Brom side who has yet to win in the league. Why we had to struggle so much in the first place, we can also debate that. Well, just to add some context to how much WBA were struggling
0: and frankly how much uh, United have been trending downward, this could have been United could have been about to lose consecutive league matches against West Brom for the first time since 1980. WBA had won 3 of their last 5 matches at Old Trafford and could have become the first side since Arsenal between 1980 and 1982 to keep three consecutive top flight clean sheets against united wow united have been having their home struggles this is united's first home win since july 4th uh, against bournemouth so that's six league matches that they've had to wait they managed to get a goal in this one with a penalty of course if they didn't score it would have equaled a club top flight record of three home matches without a goal and again as you said wba entering this match were winless in 12 league fixtures Now we can make that 13. Overall, it was a flat performance. Coming off the break, looking to build that momentum, United were just about able to take some momentum into the break. And so you needed to start this off in a a positive manner. I wanted more. Against the WBA side that was obviously looking to defend, they come out in a 5-4-1 formation, consistently had nine men behind the ball. I was expecting a more assertive approach from United right from the get-go.
1: I was very disappointed to see the starting lineup and and honestly to see the first 45 minutes. Okay, fine, we've got two defensive midfielders. I think we need to really look at when we actually use these two defensive midfielders. When we're playing against a team that's sitting back and I was watching the way West Brom lined up, they just had one striker up and even that striker was playing pretty deep. They clogged the midfield. They were like, hey, United, we'll give you the wings. We know you suck at crossing the ball, so have at it all day. We've got the defenders to head those out, right? So we're not worried about your threat, but we know that if you bring it inside the center of the midfield, Bruno can unlock us with those passes. And so they tightened it up. At at any point in time, anytime a United player had the ball in the middle of the park, they were outnumbered 2-1, to which means that they didn't have the time to unlock the defense, and they had to spread it out wide. Unfortunately, you got Juan Mata on on, on the right wing. He's not a right winger. We all know that. And so he's literally just being wasted. At that point, Ole needs to make a decision, okay, fine, if I'm going with this lineup, let me bring Mata in slightly. So even though he's playing in the quote-unquote wing position, he's actually playing pretty close to Bruno in the center, right? And so they can start to interchange those nice one-two passes, And try to get that double team off of them, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with Rashford or Martial making those slashing runs, we can come up with something. That's not what we saw at all. We saw a very, very passive United team who was passing the ball laterally and, and waiting for West Brom to make a mistake. And West Brom was extremely solid for the first 45 minutes. We had that one golden opportunity with Anthony Martial. Well played from United. I thought Harry Maguire did a fantastic job bringing the ball up. Uh, looked a little bit more like that eighty-five million pounds that we paid for. Uh, mm-hmm. I must, I must say, he has looked much better in the past little bit. And uh, Tellez did a good job finding Rashford, who in turn, you know, had a nice pass into Bruno. If you're Michael Owen or Tim Sherwood on the zone uh, commentary, you can you can give Martial all the uh, flack you want, but you know he did get the shot on target. Yes, he could have done a lot better, but I thought it was promising. I thought it was the start of things to come. Uh, Sadly, it wasn't. What did you make of the way we played in the first half? So interestingly
0: enough, I was actually higher on the first half than you. Mm -hmm. I thought United were okay. I just wanted a a change in the formation. I didn't think you needed two defensive mids. For those listening in, United went to the customary 4-2-3-1 and had Matic playing alongside Fred Scott McTominay getting a break because of the amount of time he put in on the international break but i think i united could have just afforded to be a bit more aggressive on the attacking front if a team is coming in with a 541 and continuously playing men behind the ball i don't think united have to be as circumspect in their approach as they were and so i thought there were more opportunities that they could have created for themselves. For Martial, I think this performance was very much like the performance he had for France against Portugal, where I actually thought he was doing a really good job getting in the right positions and making the right runs. It's just the finish wasn't there. Obviously, that is the biggest part for a striker, to convert those half chances into goals. That is the difference. I do agree with Michael Owen in the sense that at this level, it's not just about getting a shot on target. It's about you being at that level where you're being paid to find those corners, finding the right type of finish. And I do wonder if the way the ball was coming into his path, if he was better off striking it cleanly on the volley with some more power as opposed to you know the PlayStation R1 finish. I know I criticized Rashford for not going with the R1 (laughs) previously. This time uh, I'm going to say that Marshall didn't need the R1 here. I think if he looks to put his laces right through it, he's probably putting United up uh, one nil there. And, Let's face it, I think in general, those are the types of finishes he goes for, right? He does like those cute finishes. And I thought it cost him against Portugal as well. There were opportunities where I think you've just got to smash it and uh, the goalkeeper is going to have no chance. But he does like to curl it around. He does like those little dinks over the keeper when he's in those one on one situations. And so it's the type of finish that I expect from him now. But I think if he could add that to his toolkit, you know, frankly, if Cavani has that same type of chance, I think he's the type of striker that's absolutely lacing it.
1: Yeah. So now now I have a couple of questions for you. You're, let's say you're Ole, you're the manager. You saw that first 45-minute display. You come to the changing room. Are you making any changes? Are you going to send the team out the same way? Uh, what, do you, what are you telling the guys at halftime? I'm telling them we just need a bit more. I don't want
0: to send the message that this absolutely isn't good enough. I think we just need to change a bit more. And I'm either bringing Donny Van de Beek on for, I want to say Fred. But at the same time, I thought he was effective enough. Credit to Matic. I thought this was one of his better performances as well. I I thought, especially bringing the ball up, you know, keeping, maintaining possession. I thought he was solid in that. So it would have been a tough decision between one of those two to take them off but i'm either looking at one of those two or i'm looking at juan mata i think that is the type of change where donny van de beek whether you bring him on for one of the defensive mids i think he's the type of midfielder where you can give him the instructions that hey i'm taking off the this defensive mid so i need you to hold yourself accountable to help the team i think he's the type of midfielder that will take that message and put in a shift and then if he comes on from mata i think that's Probably where he'd be most comfortable, where he doesn't have as much defensive responsibility and you've still got the two defensive mids. And I think that would have added
1: a bit more flair to United's attack. Why do you think he started Juan Mata? I'm still trying to figure that one out. I mean, I, I know part of the reason, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Frankly, I think part of the reason is because it worked the last time they played.
0: And you look at before the international break, and this was something that we had a bit of a debate about when United played after the Newcastle match, right? And he went in with the same 11 that won that match. He's building that sort of you reap your own reward mentality where it's like, okay, you got the job done last time, so I'm going to repay that faith and start you again.
1: The more and more I watch United play, the more and more I think about how much Ole has been scarred by that 6-1 defeat to Tottenham. Because Mm. now you can see he is picking players that he trusts. He doesn't care about talent. He doesn't care about what you could potentially get by playing someone else. He cares about, can I trust this person? And he trusts Juan Mata 100%. Juan Mata clearly is not the best at tracking back, but he knows what he's getting. It's a known entity. And I think if I'm being completely honest, and and I, I might be being a little harsh on Ole here, The way he started the team and the way he came out after halftime, I think it reeks a little bit of mediocrity. I think as a United team, you need to take some more risks. Especially at home. Especially at home, especially because you haven't won for so long at home. Like, honestly, I I had in my notes, I was taking at halftime, I had one Mata coming off and I had Cavani going on. Because I didn't think Martial did a good enough job of holding the ball. There were a couple of times where if he had a better touch or if he could hold the ball, we were in. The tempo was there. But because Martial had to take two touches, we lose the tempo. You put Cavani in there. And then maybe this is a good way to just move into the second half. Because I I do want to ask you how you think Cavani performed. Because I think when he was in the center, you now pushed Rashford out to one wing and Martial out to the other wing. And I thought we looked a lot more potent that way. And I think West Brom was a little bit more worried. They had to get out to the wings a little quicker than they were before, right? It gave a lot more space for Alex Tellas to do some work and, you know, uh, Aaron wan Bisaka to do some work on the right-hand side.
0: I don't know if I would call what wan Bisaka was doing on that right side offensively work.
1: <laughs> I don't, honestly, I think you you using Aaron Wan Basaka and offensive in the same sentence is uh, giving him a little too much credit right now. (laughs) Um, But,
0: you know, I, I agree with you. I thought Cavani definitely added something that United needed. I definitely thought him and Bruno were on the same wavelength. You could see whenever Bruno had the ball, Cavani was looking to make those runs knowing that Bruno would make the right pass or the right cross. Now, one person he couldn't expect that out of was Juan Bisaka. And I think that is where we are really diminishing Edison Cavani's aerial threat because anytime he plays a ball out wide, usually it's touch and boom. He is trying to make that make that separation from his defender happen. But every time he played that ball out wide to the right, he knew that cross wasn't coming in. So it was almost like he was lurking back along the edge of the box expecting more, you know, one touch stuff around the box. So I think that's discouraging from that standpoint. In terms of one bissaka the biggest thing for me is I get your crossing is not your strength, but I think at the very least you can make yourself more of a threat when defenders are shading over to cover you on the right and you're able to take that touch to get the ball onto your left side, and now you have space, continue to take the space. Just attack. It's in his mind that he needs to get it back on his right foot to try and put a ball in. And defenders are always playing him for that. And so I think that's a big reason why he can't get as good a ball in. So just keep going. When you have the space, just take it. And things will open up. That's where I think you have to have confidence as an offensive player, to freelance and think on the fly. And I don't know if Juan Bisaka has that confidence when attacking.
1: Yeah, I think, and uh, I mean, if I'm thinking about a little bit more, do you think Juan Bisaka is just worried that if he gets into those positions, he's got Juan Mata covering for him and you don't have a lot of cover if Juan Mata is the one? So do you think that's maybe why he's so apprehensive? That that could be a factor because in the
0: 39th minute specifically, there was a perfect example of this where Bruno has the ball at the edge of the box in front of goal and he sees space on the right and he plays a perfect through pass that if Juan Bissaka just makes the run, he is there to send in what should be an easy ball for a goal across the box. But Juan Bissaka he anticipates that it's going to get intercepted, so he doesn't make the run at all. Juan Bisaka not everyone can slide tackle like you. Not everyone has those legs. <laughs> so don't expect ev- everyone else to make the plays that you would normally make. Just go ahead and go for that run. Trust that Bruno is going to find you. The irony of it all is the fact that the defender slid, couldn't get to the ball, then Juan Bissaka is like, oh, he didn't get it he still has time to go get the ball and then he gets it think about how good that ball was the fact that the defender could slide not get there Juan Bisaka doesn't run the first time and still gets there on the second time of asking
1: yeah no I completely get what you mean and the frustration that Bruno showed after that I I felt like if he could he would have probably strangled Aaron for for a little bit there because (laughs) that was the that was the regular theme throughout the evening if we if we were to you know move into the second half because we had uh, probably an action-packed 10 minutes I would say just after the 50th minute in in Mm -hmm. the 51st minute once again for all those David De Gea naysayers he makes this fantastic save with his feet surprise surprise when uh, the West Brom player got across into the box from the right hand side he came onto the left I think it was Townsend who got it onto his left foot and had a really nice shot that was going into the far post. De Gea saved it. Carl, I'm telling you. I said this earlier in in one of our episodes, and I'm saying it again. David De Gea is back at his best. Yeah, I mean, that save he made wasn't an easy save because there were a couple of bodies in the way. So for him to anticipate where that was going was just like he was miles ahead of the play. And Mm -hmm. I I, got to tip my hat off because... That ball goes in the back of the net. we got a totally different game. We're not talking about a 1-0 victory at that point, right? So Mm -hmm. I think it's it's very important to give David his dues there. We're talking about a lot of squeaky bum time. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. And then right after that, West Brom gets a penalty. Is that a penalty for you? It wasn't a
0: penalty for me because I thought Bruno got the ball first. After that, the player was honestly just making the most of the contact. And I thought the commentator was completely out of his mind. Whatever Tim Sherwood is on, in terms of having it out for Olay and United, this commentator was on the same thing. When Martial got pushed in the box, I didn't think that was a penalty. He didn't think it was a penalty. And he's like, we start calling that, that's, that's going to be a, we're going to have penalties 10 to 12 times a game.
1: Yeah, I remember him saying that. He even said like, hey, just because you have contact, it doesn't mean it's a penalty.
0: Right. And now the exact same thing happens and he wouldn't even acknowledge that Bruno got the ball. He wouldn't even acknowledge it the whole time. He's just going on and on. Look at the contact on the shin. Look at the contact on the shin. That's a penalty. That's a penalty. That's a penalty. Yeah, it, that to me is not a penalty. I thought it was the right call.
1: So a couple of things. Um Rio Ferdinand thinks that it was a very harsh decision on West Brom. He thinks that it was a, a nailed-on penalty and that they were unlucky. Slavin Bilic in the post-match interview thought 100% it was a penalty as well, uh, that it was contact. He has no idea why it was overturned. Personally, when I look at that, uh, so one thing that Slavin Bilic mentioned is like, why do, Gallagher has no reason to go down uh, if he wasn't uh, you know taken down well. <laughs> I don't know if Slavin was watching that whole game because uh, Gallagher had, uh, he did not need a second invitation to go down on more than one occasion. I'll, I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. I mean, the amount of times that he went down where he didn't get a call, uh, that should say something. Uh, looking at that, you know what? I'll, I will say this I've seen those penalties given before. Um, <clears throat> I think the fact that the referee was able to go look at the monitor and overturn it, I got to give credit to him. I also have to give credit to him because a lot of the key decisions, he was always in the right position. So I will, I will give a shout out to the referee for that. Personally, there was contact. I didn't think there was enough contact to give that a penalty. To use the commentator's words, if we're giving penalties for that, we're going to probably give 10 to 12 penalties a, a game if we're doing that.
0: Obviously, as the match goes on, it's United's turn to take a penalty. This to me, again, the way I would like the game called, I don't think that should be a penalty. But the way the VAR rules are set up, as soon as that happened, I knew it was going to be a penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean, they didn't even like that VAR check was a, a matter of seconds. There was no like reviewing it because I guess, and I mean, and Slavin Bilic agreed. He's like, you know what, if that happened against my team, I would be calling for a penalty with the new rules. That's just the way it is. Uh, so I, I'm with you on this one. According to me, that shouldn't be a penalty. The player is not trying to block the ball with his hand. You can yeah. see him turning away. And so it's it's unfortunate that it happened. When it came time to take in the penalty, obviously, the main man, Bruno, stepped up for it. I thought Sam Johnston was playing out of his mind the whole game. It looked like he was trying to show United what they were missing. <clears throat> made a Easy, easy, penalty. long stop, long shot. Easy, easy, long stop, long shot. There's no doubt about it. Some of the saves he made was just... Out of this world, uh, I, I we didn't even get a chance to talk about that Rashford save. We'll talk about it after the, just discussing the Bruno penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, the first penalty that Bruno took, he took it along the ground. Uh, Johnson had to stretch. He did stretch, and he made the save, but was clearly miles off his line. Uh, it looked like that Bruno hop, skip, and jump is what, what got the keeper to get off his line that quickly. Uh, yeah. One thing that I really liked about the retake on the penalty was Bruno decided, hey, you know what? This guy's saving everything on the ground. I'm going high in the air, right? Yeah. I'm going to take the risk. I know I'm good enough. It's not going to go over the bar. I'm going high. He's not saving it. It's not the first time he's done that where he's taken a retake and, and scored it.
0: Yeah, it definitely takes some cojones to miss the first one and say, no, I'm good. I'll take it again. You could easily change the penalty taker. He, Let's face it. He has been a, on a bit of a slump with these penalties, right? And he got lucky that he got a retake before where he was able to score and then again now he gets the retake opportunity again i'm not a big fan of that rule i think if you're expecting goalies to be on the line every single time i think they've got no chance i think they've got no chance whatsoever they have to have some way of building the momentum to fit in with the rules today they'll literally have to stand inside the goal to get that burst for their feet to jump to either side so that they're on the line but even that now becomes a risk right Well, what if you jump just slightly ahead of the line? Then you're in trouble again. So it's like you literally have to stand on the line and dive, which uh, you have no momentum. Like all, all these rules, it's like there's zero consideration for whoever's defending, whether it's actual defenders, whether it's the goalkeeper, there's no sympathy whatsoever. And so I find the rules tough. Bruno, yeah, as you said, credit to him for finishing it off, but there there might be need to be a bit of an introspection into who should step up the next time i think
1: i mean for me i think like it's 100% bruno uh, all day every day i just i just feel like he's so mentally strong that i have the most confidence in him when he's taking the penalty as opposed to anybody else on our team probably the only other person who even though I've never seen him take a penalty, who I would be very confident is Donny van de Beek. I just feel like anybody coming I out mean. of the IX Academy, the technician... I feel like Marshall has a good history. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how... how it'd be good to see how many penalties he's taken for United and how many he's scored. Um, but that's that's a good point. But yeah, we saw, we saw Rashford and Pogba go back and
0: forth last season with very disappointing results. So... I think those two can maybe stand at the back of the line. Let's face it, Pogba is at the very back of the line, wasn't even named in the squad. To me, you know, just to quickly touch on that, I think that is a direct message from Solskjaer saying, I have stood by you from day one. Anytime someone has tried to insinuate that you're not giving your all, insinuate that you're not performing at the level you're, you're supposed to, I have defended you. I've done everything I can do for you. And the first chance you get, you're going off and and saying something as garbage as, oh, being basically being away from United is a breath of fresh air. Get out of here. I think that's the right message to send. And yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm ready for his time to be done.
1: Yeah, I know they they mentioned that apparently he had an ankle problem after coming back from international duty. I'm 100% with you. I, Ole sending a message here. Like, come on, like... Okay, we might have paid 90 million from you. I'm still the manager. So you you better respect this club and you better respect me, all right? Enough is enough. And to the point you made
0: before about Didier Deschamps on the last episode being able to go off on United and saying United's not doing this and United's not doing that. If Pogba is unhappy with those comments the first time, he would step in and say something, right? Yeah. On some level, this might be an indirect message from Pogba himself. Yeah. So, I think it's all related. The situation at this point, you know, since you activated that extension, I think now it's all about just making sure you recoup as much value as you can for him.
1: Yep, they've got three transfer windows to get some sort of fee for him and I honestly just cash in on him at this point. Yes, he's a, he's a talent. Yes, he's uh, he's got a lot in his locker. Hey, Unfortunately, we're, we're not seeing that on a consistent enough basis and there are players that are showing it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, What did you think of the way United played in the second half? So, United
0: in the second half, to me, was more discouraging than the first, especially with the offensive options uh, that came on. You think about Cavani coming on in the sixty-third minute for Mata, then you think about Van de Beek coming on for those last you know ten plus minutes as well for Rashford. I wanted more, and I thought, especially in certain situations. United were getting the ball on the counter and it looked very apparent to me that they were trying to play for time. It wasn't like, oh, let's go get a goal here and kill off this game. It was more of let's keep possession, let's not do anything silly. And this maybe goes back to the point that you were making earlier where Solskjaer is is so wary of that 6-1 defeat to Tottenham where that message has seeped through to the players as well.
1: Yeah, you know what? The way I saw the second half, <clears throat> so a couple of things that were encouraging was that Ole did make some of the substitutions that I was asking for. He did bring on Cavani. He did bring on Donny van de Beek. I thought that we were extremely wasteful. That game should have been put to bed long ago. Uh, one thing that was very encouraging was the way in which Cavani made those runs. Man, there's so much that a player can learn from him. You talk about one bissaka crossing the ball... As a striker, as a lethal striker, when the timing isn't there, it all falls apart. Cavani was making those runs into the box, and he needed to be found at the right time. As soon as you take an extra touch, you've lost that momentum, and his run is useless. He's out of position. He's got to reset now. So I think that was uh, good to see. I hope that players catch on to that. I hope in training they're seeing this and they're finding him, right? Uh, Apart from that, you mean, Rashford missed this chance where he should have put in the back of the net. I thought Mm. maybe he might have listened to you with that R1 finish and tried to be a little cute instead of just banging it in at that point. (laughs) Um, Fred made this fantastic run of the box, had this fantastic fake where he cut from his left to his right foot. All he had to do was shoot at that point, and he tried to lay it off for Bruno, didn't have enough on the layoff, and then Bruno's shot was blocked. So a couple of these opportunities, honestly, just need to be a little bit more ruthless and just go for it. Yes, Sam Johnson is playing... Yeah, it lights out, but uh, we needed to create more chances. And so I thought uh, Michael Owen was right where we we kind of just, we we got by on that one note, but it wasn't uh, encouraging at all.
0: We've called it a pretty flat performance overall. I imagine there are quite a few candidates for the Beckham boot with the criticisms that we've made. I'd probably say Juan Mata is my top candidate. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Juan Mata, and unfortunately, it's not his own fault. I just think the manager is putting him in a position that doesn't get the best out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other person I would have said is Aaron Juan Basaka. However, we have nobody else I can play right back as nearly as good as him. And so, you know, you can't kick him out of the team. You just hope that he can just grow a pair when it comes to the offensive end, to be honest with you.
0: At the very least, we know he's doing half the job.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So it's if you look at a couple of seasons ago, we didn't have any right back. So I guess this is at least something versus nothing, right? And
0: that's the thing, right? I think with Juan Mata, it puts that pressure on him to be extremely productive in the attacking third because the expectations, the bar is set so low for him defensively. And so it's like, okay, if we're going to make this sacrifice defensively, then we need this much from you in the attacking third. And so when that is lacking, then it makes his performance look that much weaker.
1: I agree. In terms of uh, who was your standout performance for the Cantona caller, who were you thinking?
0: Look, I think to your point earlier, I thought Harry Maguire was very good, especially bringing the ball forward. And so I think he deserves a shout out. I thought David De Gea was very good when he needed to be, but... I think Bruno Fernandes, this is the second match in a row, the Everton match. Now this match where he's been the standout player consistently setting the tone for what United should be looking to do offensively. And even when I mentioned that I thought United lacked that cutthroat mentality in the second half, I thought he was the one, when he had the ball, he was looking to find that second goal. He was looking to kill off the game. Hopefully, that's something that rubs off on the players.
1: Yeah, yeah. For me, Bruno uh, was the guy. Some of his passes were just on a different planet. Some of the balls over the top of the defense. Some of the balls through the defense. That The layoff, one that he
0: put through to Cavani. I think that's yeah. the one you're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah. there's one he put through and also the layoff to Martial in the first half where Rashford mm-hmm. cut it back. That yeah. is not an easy first touch by any means. So the fact that he was not only able to control his first touch into Marcel's direction, that that is just all sorts of difficult, and not to mention that that Bruno is also my uh, my captain in my fantasy team. So you know what, uh, all's well that ends well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thought because of the chances. That Marshall had against Portugal in the international break. I thought he would learn from that. I thought he'd be raring to go in this match. And so I made him my captain. But he stayed on that same wavelength and missed a bunch of chances. So <laughs> looks like looks like you're just uh, expanding your lead on me in fantasy. Oh, you know what? One thing we have forgotten. We need to touch on Alex Tell is a bit more just this being his first league start.
1: Yes, yes. I thought he was, uh, you know, for for his first league start, I was I was happy. I think there's a lot of promise that lies ahead. <clears throat> I think he was being uh, risk averse in some of the things that he was doing, where he was passing back instead of forwards. But it's natural. It's your first game in a while. Let's be honest. In the United shirt, um, I think there's a lot of potential with his crossing. I'm really liking those corner kicks, but Bruno's trying to get Alex tellez uh <laughs> it's just a matter of time where we before we see a golazo top corner. I can see it coming right now. it's going into Rosette, but hey, it'll come, <laughs> yeah, those
0: corners were definitely interesting, yeah, I thought it was a solid performance when you see that noticeable difference in the talent, the floor becomes so much higher in terms of what you expect. We talked about in terms of what players are capable of, in terms of what Juan Mata is capable of, the floor is that much lower because of his struggles defensively. Luke Shaw, again, his floor is that much lower because of how he can hurt you defensively and his lack of defensive awareness. With Alex Tellez, the floor is much higher. And I thought that is what became apparent to me in this match because it wasn't... I wouldn't call it a great performance. I I would say it was a solid performance, and still, that is something that I would take over Luke Shaw pretty
1: much any day of the week. And so, so for you going into this Istanbul game, uh, you making any changes to that starting eleven?
0: <laughs> I mean, first off, you know what the plan is going to be from Istanbul. It's not going to you know di- diverge much from what they did at
1: home. Demba Ba is going to be up top. They're going to look to play off of him. Are you sure their strategy is not going to be, hey, let's give United a corner kick so that we can score a goal when they take it? <laughs>
0: oh, man. Yeah, I, I expect Fred and Scott to be starting that that match. I think Matic will be back on the bench with Scott having had the break that he needed. I don't think we'll see Twan Zebe play just because of the struggles in that Istanbul match first. I think that will weigh heavily on Solskjaer's mind. We've seen how things can play with his mind. And so those mistakes, I think Twanzebe will be left out. So I I think you can pretty much expect the same back four. Fred and Scott together in the midfield. And if anything, I think the only changes we'll see are Van de Beek for Mata and possibly, possibly Cavani for Martial.
1: Interesting. I think... uh the one thing i can see happening is mata coming out and i think cavani's coming in and i think uh, rashford and marciello aren't going to be on either wing interesting i don't think vanderbeek is going to start the more with each passing game <laughs> i think you sound the what you said in the beginning sounds more and more accurate i think Ole is sending a message Hmm. yeah that might be the case
0: that might be the case i just wonder if maybe now a window has opened for van de beek if solskjaer continues to leave pogba out of the squad yeah cuz that was maybe an impediment that he had in terms of access to the the starting 11 that isn't there anymore
1: no, fair enough i think that's it for for today the only thing i do want to point out is because you know there's there's always a crisis at manchester united or so there seems to be when you read the news united is in the top half of the table They're in ninth position, one point ahead of Manchester City, having played the same number of games. So if there's a crisis at United, what is going on at City? Yeah, I
0: I said this on the last episode. I think City have been just okay so far on the season. I was even reading that this is their lowest points tally at this stage of the season since Mark Hughes was manager in 08-09. And this is also the fewest goals that they've scored. So I think there are some problems at City. I think you really see how much not having Pica Aguero hurts them.
1: Well, they'll be getting uh, some guy by the name of Messi next season, I'm pretty sure, after Pep signed his two-year deal.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'll say it right now. I do not think Man City are an automatic place in the top four. Right now I like Liverpool, I like Tottenham, I like Chelsea to be three of the four teams and I genuinely think that fourth place is going to be between United, Arsenal, Leicester, Everton. Sorry? Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. A reminder, we are on Twitter at Red Couch Banks. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match and let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Banks.